OK's Fisher Podcast, part of the OK's Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OK's Fisher Podcast. Matt and I are here hanging out with you from our basements again as usual. How's it going, Matt? Another day in paradise, my friend. Yeah. Um, today's episode is probably not going to be as exciting as most people would want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it our adulting episode for fishing, meaning it's a gear talk. Again, go figure. We're gear junkies, but... Maybe some of these little things that we're going to bring up might help you be a little more successful. Call it opening weekend, perhaps. Or you just haven't gotten out and you plan on getting out in the next couple weeks. So we kind of put together a punch list of things to check out with your tackle, maybe your boat if you have one. What do you think, Matt? I think that's a good idea. Pretty boring, but definitely necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, picking up your fishing rod from, you know, maybe last summer, haven't really looked at it, and just going to the lake and finding out that your line is junk or one of the guides has been abused and cracked, and you don't realize it until maybe you get a fish on or you cast a, a reel or cast a lure out, and the lure keeps going, and you end up with just a strip piece of line. And minus $10. So. Right. Because everything's ten bucks now. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, let's get into it. Yeah i I don't have a boat, so we're gonna pass all boat questions off to you. I'm the <laughs> the resident okayest mooch when it comes to boats. Um, you know, there's bo- nothing wrong with shore fishing. I, shore fishing or or jumping in someone else's boat. That's one less thing you got to worry about storing and sharing and taking care of. And yeah, that's how I cut my teeth fishing from shore. So and same here. And I just decided to jump into a boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'll, I'll take the lead. Uh, what I like to do before I go out for the season is look at the big ticket items. Look at your rod and reel. So we're gonna kind of we're gonna cover that a little bit. You're gonna you want to check out your rods. Make sure there's no cracks from improper handling. Anything like that, like Greg said, check all the guides out, make sure there's no cracks or potentials for line, um, you know, chance a line could get cut on it. It seems very basic, but I have seen over my years lost fish because of not checking the simplest things out, and I would hate to see that to uh, anybody listening. Yeah. It's just not great. No, it's it's really a bummer, and what's even a bigger bummer is, like like I just said, you grab the rod, you know, off the garage wall or out of the basement or whatever. You get out to the lake and you, you know, all of a sudden you see something going on. Your your line is looking frayed up or something weird is happening. I mean, I don't know how many fishing rods I've owned in my lifetime, a bunch that have found their way to the dumpster because, you know, they got mishandled during, you know, moving from one place to another. Or, you know, you borrow it to somebody, the graphite the graphite blank has got, you know, fractures in it and you don't realize it until you flex the rod and, oh, that's that that didn't exactly bend the way it was supposed to. Or just looking at the guides, like I, I picked up a brand-new fishing rod um, and clearly it had been mishandled before, before I even got a hold of it. 
and just looking at the guides, and the guide was intact. So the, uh, I guess the, uh, whatever material they're made out of the the ring itself inside the eyelet had a crack in it, like it had a chip out of it. So if you were to run braid, that would be like an instant razor. You know, it would it would razor blade, braid right off. Where if it were monofilament, it would kind of nick it up a little bit, and you would at least see it on on monofilament. But if you make a good hard cast of braid and you got a sharp edge in one of those one of those eyelets, it's going to razor that line right off. Yeah, if you get out of blues in half your spool, and yeah, not not a great way to start the season. No, not at all. So um, that that's the that's the easiest thing to check is the rods. Um, you know, it's pretty to me. It's pretty obvious if you actually look at your rod what what your what's missing or what's broke. Um, I've actually had eyelets mysteriously pop out and just disappear forever. That's actually probably the best case scenario. Yeah, because then it's just metal and it's most likely not going to cut your line, but it's still something you have to address. Either get a new rod, get an eyelet fixed, or try to find the right size insert for it. But. I can say I've had it cutting me off when I'm using braided fishing line and heavier sinkers. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a bad side of braid though. Yeah, it's it is. really strong, but man, is it it's it's, it's great on the it's not abrasion resistant. Especially nope. when you go to the slicker braids with more weave to them. So you, you got you know you got four uh I don't know what do you call it? Four strands. Four strands, there you go. Four strands versus eight strand. Eight strand is going to be slicker. It's going to be, it'll allow you to cast farther, but it's not going to be as as abrasion resistant as four strand. Four strand can take a little more rubbing across pylons and, and rocks and things. It's still not bulletproof. You're almost better off running mono or fluorocarbon at that point. Mm-hmm. And since I primarily musky fish, I can't run that. No. I run braid on everything, so I gotta be extra careful. That actually kind of, I'm gonna get away from nods for a second and ask you a question because I do this. I don't know if I'm weird or um, every year on my musky reels. So you know, so it gets sunburnt or whatever you want to call it, sun faded. The line does; it absorbs water. It kind of swells up, gets a little free. You start to lose the coloring out of it just from running it through water so much. Yep, exactly. So what I like to do. Um, if possible, I have an empty spool, and I'll actually unspool that line. Yes. And then retie it on the opposite way. So you get twice the life out of it because the stuff right at your right at your reel base, that's never seen the light of day. That's getting some water, you know, when it soaks through in the reel. But I like to flip my braid. You get twice the life out of it. And it saves you a pretty penny at the store, too, instead of replacing it every year. 100%. I agree with that wholeheartedly because I do the same thing on some of my spinning reels and uh, any of my other bait casters that I have braid on if I use them a bunch. And just like you said, once you start to see it sun fade or lose its color from the dye out of it, just from casting it so much and getting it wet all the time and it drying out, it's probably going to start getting a little long in the tooth on that end. So you could, you know, take a few yards off of it to kind of clean up the abrasion abrasions off of it because that's the areas that see the most travel and then you know if you have the time flip it around take if you got an empty spool take it all off right down to the spool and uh it's kind of a pain in the rear 
It is, but to save you, what is it, twenty five or thirty bucks for a spool of braid nowadays? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can get you get twice of the life out of it. And what you said about cutting the line off, I consider that mid season or like day to day. If I get some abrasions, I got no problem pulling ten feet off, cutting it, and retying. Yep. But this is more talking about end of the season or beginning of the season before you go out because you would hate to have a musky hookup. Yep. And then three thrashes into it, the line splits. Yeah, and if you got a big enough yard, you don't even need a spool. You just unspool it all the way out and then go to the other end and tie it, tie the faded end onto your spool and reel it all back in again. <laughs> I will say, if you get in a scenario where you do that and you get a knot halfway through, oh, just go buy a new braid. Yeah, wind knots just, are terrible. <laughs> that, just, go, just buy a new braid. It's <laughs> just a lost cause at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And so do you, go ahead. Go ahead. Nope. Well, I was to say, do you do the same for uh, mono and floral, mono, or is that do that, you? Yeah. So I don't. I used to run floral on some of my my more finesse uh, bass rods, you know, for bait casting for jerk baits. I always liked using floral for that ten pound test. Usually, um, I don't use that so much anymore, just because I don't fish that way as much as I used to, but. Mono is one and done. I mean, you get one season out of that stuff. It just it gets weather checked. It's seen some some sunlight, some temperature change. If you pull it off the spool and it doesn't feel smooth anymore, it, or if it stays coiled, it stays I've noticed coiled. that quite yeah, a bit too. It holds memory. It's time yep. to just chuck it because you're gonna. Mono's cheap. You can go buy you know big spools of it for relatively inexpensive. You know, pick your pick your favorite mono and go with it. I mean, I I've got a wide varieties of of different monofilaments I like for different applications. You know, Berkeley Big Game is one of my favorite for my salmon trolling, and I usually run that on the downrigger rods. So that's uh, and that'll be for another episode. <laughs> that'll be coming soon too. Little little salmon fishing, Great Lake salmon fishing. But yeah, I would I would strip it all down. Like I've got couple of my panfish ultralights that i run uh run monofilament on those are going to get stripped off and i've got two big spools of six pound test here i just re-spool and call it a day so when you when you strip all that line off i haven't done this personally but it just popped in my head so you know usually you put 200 yards on you're really only casting about 100 yards or so probably a little less than that do you ever take the inner stuff and make leaders out of it or is that too far gone at that point? It usually with with monofilament, it's on a bait caster in particular. I don't bother making leaders out of it. You know, if we're talking my salmon gear with the twenty pound test, it's it's garbage all the way down to the tie. It just it all gets, I don't know, it gets a, a ripple in it or a wrinkle in it, and it just it's junk. I suppose it's hard to clear that memory out too. It is. I mean, you could tie a thirty pound king salmon to the end of it, and that'll straighten it. Well, true. This is true. And just make sure your drag is set properly so you don't break it off that crappy line. <laughs> you catch anything That's if you got your drag set properly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How's this for a tie-in? When you are done looking at your line, do you do anything with your reels? Do you pull them apart? Do you look at bearings? Do you re-grease them? I do pull them apart. I at least pull the spool off. You know, when we're talking spin spinning reels if they're all front drag and most people run front drag you're weird if you run a rear drag reel just saying 
But if you like that we're, sort of thing, I guess, you know, knock yourself out. We're not judging. No, not judging but. at all. But, you know, the drag washers are all in that spool. They're they're right there. I mean, they're easily serviceable. If you get grit in there, you can either hit them with an air, you know, with the air compressor, air hose, or you can uh, you can wash them out, too, if you really needed to. A lot of them are supposed to be waterproof drags, but if you get them apart and just clean them all up and get the grit out of them, like all my surf gear, I'm going to have to take everything apart because it literally went through a sandstorm, mm-hmm. <laughs> sandstorm and salt water. So all that stuff's going to have to be pulled apart, washed down, and re-greased. Probably have to get some real magic or something to clean it up. And I have a lot of these reels comes come with little tubes of uh, of grease and and oil. Use that stuff. Hang on to it if you, you buy a new reel. Hang on to that stuff and and use it. It's it's good practice. You know, save yourself some money on buying a new reel. Of course, if you need an excuse to buy a new reel, do what you got to do. <laughs> then disregard this whole podcast. Right. If you just buy new gear just every year, yeah, gear. don't even listen it's, to it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I usually do a Q-tip with a little bit of WD-40. Just, nice. just kind of get it wet so the, no fibers get in there, and that usually cleans all that stuff mm-hmm. up pretty good. Certainly. Yeah, there's a lot of little tips and tricks, but the Q-tip is the way to go. I mean, that's one of the most universal tools in in anyone's arsenal that if you, you own firearms or rods and reels, you can really do a good job of cleaning things up out of the tight spots. Yeah, what about bait casters then? Bait casters, um, again, I haven't touched much of my salmon stuff. I'll shoot some, uh, because they're level wines, I'll shoot a little bit of, little bit of oil in the, in the level wine mechanism to keep that, that happy. But otherwise, those bearings are sealed. Like, you can pull mm-hmm. the side plates off, and if you're not real mechanical and you don't want to mess with it, those bearings are sealed. I don't think you're really getting a whole lot of oil in them where you're going to get the oil that make, really make the most amount, amount of sense would be to get in that, that level wine mechanism. That's, that's, that'll help flush any grit out of there, and it'll, it'll keep it happy. And I'll, I'll jump back on the level wine. Um, all the reels I got by Baycaster that have that, too. Um, late season, when the weeds and the algae flow to the top, if you you should clean them when you're done fishing, but I've had them where I forgot to, and the algae and the, the weeds are kind of built up in there. Oh, yeah, That's no bueno, especially on your first cast and retrieve, and you got all your line punched up on one side. Yep. So that's something to look for too. It's it's a open mechanism, so you can see where the where it travels and everything. So it's it's an area that does hold weeds, it does hold grit, cottonwood seeds, all that stuff yep. gets and, you know stuck in there. And it always catches it catches and grabs because it's it's a it's like a spun gear mechanism where if you get something loose that just kind of wraps around it where it, where the where the line guide travels back and forth, it'll grab and it'll pull it right in. So any loose weeds, like you said. It's good to clean that mechanism up and oil it every year on, on level wines. Yep. That's for sure. Um, what about so the, we, the Snoopy pole? Oh, you mean the, I think we have a Moana pole. You got Moana, not Barbie, got, not Snoopy? Nope. I think it's a, a Moana up at the cabin, and then we have a Mickey or Minnie pole down here. I don't do maintenance on those. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fill it full of eight pound test and let her rip tater chip. Exactly. When it runs out of line, you just go buy another rod. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else to add to reels? 
No, but I just thought of something. We What's might here? Need, we might need to do a Moana pole challenge. Ooh. What, mm-hmm. biggest fish on the smallest rod? Biggest, most, I, I don't know. We're going to have to come up with something. We'll let, the, we'll let the viewers weigh in on that. We might have to put out a poll on the OKS Fisher Instagram page to see what we should be chasing with that. We always got to have it in the boat when we and you fish, though. I think so. I think we're going to have to throw that sucker in there. Do they make a big spool edition where we control it on Lake Michigan? Hmm. We might have to invent one. <laughs> <laughs> the youth salmon rod. The youth salmon rod. <laughs> That'd be so, fun. It would be fun. We're going to have to try it. If nothing else, we're going to have to throw it overboard for perch or something. Fish the bottom for perch after we're done getting our butts kicked by the salmon. I like it. Okay. We could probably do something like that. That sounds great. <laughs> we will throw a poll out there, though. It'll I, like, I like that idea. Yes. So, what's so if we're... Oh, go ahead. No, what's next on your list? I was just going to ask. Um. So once I'm done checking out my rods, because they're the big ticket items, I like to dig into my tackle boxes. So I don't know if any of the viewers know, I used to fish bass tournaments. I still fish the muskie tournaments. <clears throat> And my tackle box is pristine at 6.02 in the morning when we start a tournament. And about 7.45 in the morning, it's like I dropped it, kicked it, pumped it down a flight of stairs, and tried to put everything back in. So I can assume most of our listeners, that's how their box looks right now, unless they've gone through it and went out fishing before this. But I like to go through um, all my Plano boxes are... I got labels on them for jerk baits, for, you know, terminal tackle, for shallow divers, for deep divers. Every odd and end, I have more tackle boxes than I know what to do with. So I like to go through each box, you know, possibly weed out some of the 15 empty packages of soft plastics that I throw <laughs> in there and say I'm going to throw out later. Um, I like to really go through it and get nice and organized so that I'm not digging around on opening day trying to find a lure that I thought was in there, but it probably... You know, like a jerk bait ended up getting thrown in my top water box because I ended up making a switch midday. I like to just go through everything on the, the generic side and make sure everything's organized. And then from there, I'll go and actually look at every lure, replace hooks if they need to be replaced, um, swivels, any of the eyelets, anything like that, and throw out lures that are junk, which I usually, oh, I'll take care of that later. And then I just throw it back in the right box and the forget box. all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like chucking a Rapala with a busted bill off of it. Oh, yeah, or missing two of the three trebles. or Because yeah. you stole them for something else. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, this color would be great, but I only got one treble on it. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a pretty big deal to have, have your baits ready, especially your favorite ones when it comes to crunch time, to be able to just grab in there and tie it on, and then you're not messing around trying to get it ready. It, it also gives you a chance, too, to – if you got to replace lures to get it all taken care of beforehand. Um, it's like you said, especially on your favorite baits. And also I have a terminal. I have like two terminal tackle boxes with hooks and restock them. Yeah. I mean, make sure everything's stocked up, ready to go for the season, at least for, you know, your first couple trips out because stuff happens. You're going to lose hooks. You're going to break line. I, I hate that feeling when you get out there and you can't find that one lure that you're looking for. Yeah. I, Tackle organization is is really nice, especially when you you get into a mess of fish. 
you know, I, I'm pretty organized with my, my panfish stuff, you know, bluegills in particular. You know, I got all my ultralights set up. I've got one tackle bag designated with probably three boxes. One's got bobbers, one's got jig heads, and the other one's got sinkers and swivels and the terminal tackle and bear hooks. And then, you know, I'll have another pouch with some microplastics just for something different. And then, you know, have my bait cooler that I have set up, you know, frozen soda bottles and frozen water bottles to keep the, the, the leaf worms cold. Yep. And then um, my thing, too, I do a lot of river wading. So I have separate tackle boxes for that. And I usually pull out of my main tackle boxes. So make sure if you have a situation like that where you're, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, everything goes back to the banker at the end. So everything's ready to go, and you can divvy that up later in the season. Yeah, that's that's probably the toughest thing because I, I commonly find, uh, you know, bass plastics or walleye plastics, and, you know, maybe I brought both bags, the walleye bass bag and the, and the panfish bag, and eh, good enough, chuck it in there, get it off the rod. Yep. <clears throat> I've had that before too. And then um, I'm going to jump into musky fishing a little bit. Oh, here we go. Hold on. <laughs> Hold your horses there, guys. <laughs> um, check your leaders. That's like the most overlooked thing. That's the biggest part of it. Make sure your snaps are good. Make sure your swivels are good. Make sure they're tight. They don't have big teeth marks on them. They didn't get, you know, caught in the boat or the back of the oh, truck and wear down that. That particular piece of tackle a leader on anything big like musky or pike fishing those take a lot of abuse not just from the fish and in the cover but you're casting a lure that's you know four to eight ounces maybe even or or 12 ounces to 16 ounces because you're coming out of fall fishing so yeah and that thing's taking a lot of shock so and leaders aren't cheap we get that but you really need, if you look at it and it's questionable, just replace the thing. It's yep, worth, it's it's not worth losing a fish or or a bait uh, for that matter. I mean, I know I've I've had it in the past. I cast a really nice jerk bait, and it broke off at the barrel swivel. Well, that was a leader I've had I had on there for I don't know how long, and it broke at the barrel swivel. And the bait, luckily, the bait floated, so I was able to go pick it up. But it goes to show you. You should have a couple extra leaders, big fish leaders, when you're when you're doing that. Yep, and though, like I said, they're they're more important because you don't hook as many muskies as you would bass or panfish. So if you hook one, you do not. I mean, I stress this: you do not want a equipment failure. No, that's the biggest pet peeve. Is every time we we run through weeds, every time we you know scar a fish or you know get a hook in a fish but don't land it, we take five minutes to sharpen all our hooks. You know, because that's, you don't have to do that so much with bass because they got paper mouths and stuff like that. But making sure everything well, actually couples into this, make sure all your hooks are sharp too. Yeah. <clears throat> um, if you got hooks you don't trust, you know, pick up a, a box of Gamagatsu treble hooks or whatever you like using. I like the Gamagatsus. Those things are razor sharp right out of the box. They're expensive, but I never lo- lose a fish on them. I think they're laser sharp. I think what's a, that's what they say on the package. Oh, that's that's eagle claw, not to be. <laughs> oh, is that okay? Is that eagle claw? Here. Yeah. <laughs> I digress. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything you do with your tackle different or? Um, trying to think if there is anything different. Not really. 
I mean, I'm in the off season. I'm always pre tying some new hair jigs or you know flies or whatever. You know, painting up jig heads. Like right before we went down to Florida, I painted up a bunch of jig heads, and some of them made made it back, didn't get lost in the ocean in some toothy critter's mouth. Um, <laughs> and those are going to get used. You know, darter heads. They work for everything. I could cast for salmon or trout. I could cast for walleyes. Some of my biggest walleyes are on darter heads using a, a, a key tech paddle tail. You know, so and big smallmouths love them too. Mm-hmm. But I think just restocking, going through, taking inventory. If you're uh, maybe not as big of a geek as Matt and I here about looking through our gear during the <laughs> off season, thinking about open water, um, now's the time. You know, get it while the bait shops still have have stuff. Because once the major bass tournaments and things start hitting, I mean, I don't know about you, but you go into the local bait shop if there's a bass tournament that runs locally, um, like I do in the Lake Country area they get cleaned out of plastics pretty quick. Yep. That's also a good tip to know what they're biting on. It is. Because like if you always know. see that one, you know, hook that never has bait on it, you should probably try to find that bait. Yeah. There's a pretty good chance that the pearl tail whippler is uh, is catching all the fish, and if they're out of pearl tail whipplers, you need a new one. You, mm-hmm. you need to find some. Yep, because that's what they're biting on. People don't buy lures Well. Lures usually catch the fisherman's eye before the fish actually bite it. Typically. But but if you see something consistently sold out, you know that whatever color that is or whatever lure that is, that's the ticket for that, you know, area. Exactly. No, I think uh, we covered rods and reels and tackle pretty well. Uh, shift gears to boats, even though you're not really a boat kind of guy. Yeah, well, I'm a boat kind of guy. I just... I'm not the boat owning type of guy. <laughs> I fell on that grenade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I pull mine out of storage. I mean, before it goes into storage, I do what I can to winterize it, you know, fogging it down and all that fun stuff. And I I put uh, fuel additives in the in the gasoline uh, before it goes away in into the shed. I always pull my batteries out. They all all, all three of my batteries come out. They go in the basement. They go on a trickle charger. However, I will tell you, my two trolling motor batteries are getting a little long in the tooth. I've revived them a few times by adding some water, but you you let them cook in on the, on the maintainer, they boil that water right out. I'm probably gonna end up replacing those guys. But now is the time, you know. Get, get out there, look at your boat, look at the batteries. If you you know you're okay like me and Matt here, we haven't been out in the boat. We've been thinking about it. Some of your hardcore guys have already been out for a month in their boat and, and catching walleyes, unlike us. But back to it, I'm going to have to replace those batteries. Starting battery, you, you know, in and out of the boat, getting charged, discharging, in the elements. You know, I keep my boat outside, try to keep it covered, but it's still in the elements. It's subject to temperature change. Batteries don't like a lot of major temperature change especially when it gets really, really cold. So you're not they're not going to last as long. I mean, taking them out of the boat definitely helped, but now i got to go put them back in, and they're, they're looking questionable, so it's time to replace those, I think. So that'll be yep. a pretty big bill. I'm going to have to go find some side work to afford that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
On a side note to that too, I like how you pull your batteries out of the boat. Um, I've actually, uh, how where I work now, what I actually do full time, all of our batteries and equipment that sits outside, we pull in. It's it's like you said that temperature change, and then even if you have it on a trickle charger outside all winter long, you still can't prevent temperature change and that hot cold hot cold condensation, more water added, more water burnt out of the batteries, all that stuff. Not good for it. It's going to take an extra 30 minutes to pull the batteries out, put them in the basement, set them on a block of wood on your concrete floor in the basement. Yep. That's the way to go. You'll get a couple extra years easily out of those batteries. Yeah, I mean, I got 10 years out of mine. I don't think I can really complain about that. <laughs> the starting batteries, I only get about three years out of them, and they're junk. Even by pulling them out, they just don't last very long. It's a lot more amperage. It's a lot harder cycle, too, on those. Yep. And then half my electronics run off of it, too, in the boat. Not that I have a lot, but, you know, if I'm out on Lake Michigan, it's running the the, uh, the emergency radio. It's running the locator and the lights. So, yep. Yeah, and going from that, you know, the outboard, I always like to put fresh uh, lower-end unit lube in it, drain it out. Even if it looks good, I still just I change it. it it's done and over with. Um inspecting the prop looking at it going well if it's if you lose a little bit of wedge out of your prop if it starts to change angle you're not going to be as efficient as in moving water so you know it might be time to order a new prop if it's really that dinged up uh, new plug it could also i mean it could also throw off the balance of the motor too i've yeah. seen that where you take a chunk out of it and end up blowing the lower unit out yeah and nobody wants to afford a lower unit at least i don't on a boat that's from 1993 with a two-stroke on it yeah yeah it's not ideal no not typically and depending on your motor like mine's an old two-stroke it's oil injected mine had an oil leak issue um it turns out the bottom of the tank just started to crack it's old it's got a lot it's got some hours on it so you know take the covers off and looking at it and a couple of hose clamps and uh, a replacement tank because it had a, an actual oil oil level sensor in it it's it's a mariner mercury product so that in order to get that sensor i had to replace the tank so killed two birds one stone took care of the crack took care of the the oil level sensor so then the alarm wasn't going off in the boat anymore um, plugs. I try to keep at least two sets of plugs with me, you know, or, or buy two sets of plugs at the beginning of the year. Now, again, now's the time to do it because there's actually, there might be plugs in stock in places where midsummer there might not be, you know, like when you and I want to, maybe we, we fish salmonorama this year. If I go to last minute, yeah, I better go put, put some plugs in this thing. Can't find them. <laughs> And Amazon does not deliver out on the big pond. No, nope, they don't. I mean, they do a pretty good job of delivering everywhere else but the big pond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. And it's cheap insurance, too, on a, on a two-stroke. It is. And it, I don't know, man. Every time I put new plugs in that thing, it just runs so much better. Do you run premium? Well, you got, do you have, I have premium fuel and yep, yeah, the proper oil? I have, I have uh, the good oil, and I, I run premium <clears throat> gas that's uh not reformulated yep so 91 octane is what we get out here and uh, it, it has no uh no ethanol whatsoever and that's i mean all the buddies that i have they made the switch years ago and yeah I, yeah you, you got to travel a little farther but it's it's worth every penny i'm lucky it's right down the street i can go get it where i'm at but 
I do that with uh, with some fuel additive, and I'm usually pretty good to go. So, um, wiring every year, bouncing off the big waves, some of the wiring starts to fall out of the dash. Time to go back in there and tidy that back up. Maybe snip some wiring out, add some zip ties, do something <laughs> to clean that stuff up because you don't need you don't need trouble with that. Things falling apart. Um, safety equipment. You know, did uh, did you accidentally leave a PFD in the boat when you stored it? Did the mice get into it? Time to go buy some PFDs. Uh, make sure they're up to date. Make sure they're not ripping out part at the stitches. They're not sun bleached. Take care of them. Uh, here in Wisconsin, I think if you're a 16 foot or bigger boat, you got to have fire extinguisher. Make sure that's up to up to code and up to snuff. Um, I know for a fact we go down the big pond. The Coast Guard will pull you over. They will check. I have two of them on my boat. I don't need them, but I have two of them. Um, also on big water. Not that this is a big water episode, but you also have to have several several ways of signaling for help. So I have a flare gun, I have the radio, I have a mirror, a whistle, air horn. I have more things than, than I know what to do with. We could have a whole whole band going out there doing all sorts <laughs> of fun stuff. But abandoned fireworks, pretty cool. But it's required. So it's one of those things where you need to be aware of you know what's required, where you're going, when you're going there. Have it in the boat and have it ready because, I mean, the Coast Guard don't feel bad for being pulled over by the Coast Guard because they're just they're going to help you become better at being safe out there. Yep, exactly. And that's actually a good thing you brought up because most inland fishermen don't realize to go on the big pond, there's a separate, completely separate checklist of yep. required items you have to have. Yeah, that's so. all, that, all that fun stuff I just went through. Mm-hmm. You know, having a radio, having and making sure it works and having the flare gun and having the fire extinguishers and, and a signal horn and whatever else. I mean, have, have if it's worth killing, it's worth overkilling. Have all that stuff. Um, back to that, since I don't own a boat, I don't follow boating rules. Are there, is it a law now? You got to have a kill switch? Yes. And my boat, it is a law. My boat came back from back when, and even my old boat, there was a kill switch installed in it. So, yeah, by by law, you have to have the kill the kill switch and tether. The tether has to be intact there. So, yep. again. Which is, it's common sense, but, man, it, it saves lives for sure. It does. I mean, if you're, you know, all of a sudden something falls off the dash of the boat and you decide to go down and grab it, and <clears> you hit a wave you didn't see coming, and the boat knife's real hard, and you, you could get tossed. You don't want the boat running away on you. So, yep, or running you over. Yeah, that'd be ugly. Yeah, not not great. No, not at all. But that's all part of the safety equipment. Um, you know, getting back to trolling motor. Like I know for a fact, my pedal is is giving me trouble. And every year I got to pull it apart and go at it with the Q-tip and a little WD-40 to clean all the contacts out of it. Um, it's just something I have to do. And then you know, it'll if I don't do it, it'll give me trouble the first two trips out. It always does. So I should probably replace it or I'd love to upgrade trolling motors to something with spot lock, but it, that costs money and this one still works. So we're just going to go with it. Another good thing to get taken care of before you hit the water to go troll your first bank. 
and realize your trolling motor pedal does not work. Oh, man. There's nothing worse. Or just trying to sneak up on that first weed edge to cast for bluegills or bass or whatever. It's just nothing like fighting with your equipment when you're trying to enjoy a, a quick morning of fishing. Mm-hmm. And since I don't own a boat, I can throw an anecdote in here. Make sure you put the plug back in. Because <laughs> <It's been laughs> I've, been, I've been on a boat. We launched at Bagel once. The guy whose boat it was dropped us in the water. He went to go park his truck. And we see him walking back, and we're flagging him down because the whole ass ends underwater. Oh, no. <laughs> so he had to run back, grab the truck because it's Winnebago. It's like 500 stalls in this parking lot. Yeah. And he had to grab it, and we spent the next 25 minutes pumping and scooping out water out that, of the boat. That sounds like qualified captain stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Boat ramp champ. Yeah. You know, there's a few other things I, I think have come to mind, but one is, like, my big boat, it'd be like putting an oar on the Queen Mary, but you got to have something to paddle with. <laughs> if it may, may not make you go anywhere, but it makes you feel good yeah, about it. Makes it, it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. <laughs> my boat, I even keep an extra prop in just in case. Uh, so there was a, a cheaper prop purchase. The previous owner had bought it, and he's like, yeah, it's not, it's not an OEM prop, but it's close enough, and it would work if you – caught a reef or something out there you can change it so i got the wrench and everything in the in the bow of the boat ready to go well that was my other question do you have you obviously have tools in the boat then yes. to fix some of those miscellaneous repairs you I may do. have out on the water i do i keep a, a cheap socket set but it covers most of what i need i keep a pair of channel locks god forbid i ever have to use those in that situation because those are like a ditch last dish effort tool if you're pulling those out, shit, hit the fan already. Yeah, that's the universal socket set. <laughs> <laughs> that and the adjustable wrench. Um, and some wire connectors. <clears throat> yeah, I always have extra lug, uh, wire lugs, and, and, yeah, I've got all that stuff. I have a full kit that I have packed to go in my boat. I just, I'd rather be safe than sorry because the one time I might need something, it won't be there. Extra hardware, I keep some of that stuff in there as well especially with lake michigan because i'm like rod holders and stuff they have bolts and screws in them i've had things vibrate out and get lost i have extra stuff you know a little bit of extra stuff that i can replace the the lost or worn out bolts with out there when i'm when i'm trolling um anything else with the boat otherwise i got a nice tie-in to my next question being a non-boat owner well Maybe not so much with the boat. There might be a few things I'm missing in there. I'm sure there is. But for the most part, I think we covered the boat. The next big thing is the trailer. That's right where I was heading. Uh Uh-huh. Man, and I probably should have covered that first because I've been through the ringer with my trailer. (laughs) From blowing out out tires coming home at 11 o'clock at night from Lake Michigan, you know, an hour from home, grenading a tire on the interstate, tearing off the, tearing off the fender, <laughs> just trashing it. I trashed that. And then not only did it tear the fender off, but then it proceeded to take part of the wiring harness with it because the fender has marker lights. Yeah, it was the whole tire was just destroyed. The fender was gone. The wiring was ripped out of the frame of the trailer. The tail light was about it was pretty much flickering and it was it was done. So I was down a tail light, marker lights, and half the wiring harness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So new fender that was two hundred bucks. 
a new tire. I think I just I replaced both tires right away. You're gonna do one, you do both. Did both tires. Uh, I, I bet I had 500 bucks into it when it was all said and done. But redid all the wiring, hung a new tail light because it, it ripped the socket out. It was junk, and new marker lights. All said and done, I bet I had five, six hundred bucks into all of it. But it had to be done. Mm-hmm. And then, yep. Then the winch. I had that break once. You know, I had the strap actually break. So we were able to fabric cobble part of it together and uh, make it home and take it all apart and put the right stuff in it and then put a new strap in it. You know, it's another thing. People, well, it still cranks. It still holds. Yeah, but if it's looking sun bleached, not shiny anymore, and it's uh, stiffer than a dog leash, it's it's time to uh, time to replace the, the strap or roping, you know, rope on your winch. If you got bigger bigger boat, you're going to have, like, the seatbelt strap. Smaller boats, they might have just, just rope on that winch. And then just cleaning and lubricating the winch on it. And going through all your lights, make sure every light works on the trailer. I mean, it's kind of a good feeling to go down the road to see all the lights working. But <laughs> my luck is usually I get about two trips with all lights working, and then something takes a dump. It never <laughs> that's, how, that's how it always works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other tip I can add to the trailer, because of like what I do for a living, uh-huh. um, Check your welds. Yes. If you see, if you got a white painted trailer and you see a spot of rust, that spot of rust is not from nothing. That's from a crack in your paint and paint doesn't crack unless there's a crack. Yeah. You know, a crack in the steel below it. That's a great point. It's exactly it. Cause a lot of these better trailers, like mine's a shorelander, they powder coat those things. It's going to take a lot to break that paint. And like you said, you see rust. Why did that rust? What's going on with the finish? It's not the finish. Well, the finish cracked because something underneath cracked with it to cause it yep. that way. So check your welds. Yep. Then that's not a way just to lose a trailer. That's how you launch your boat off your trailer down the highway, and that's never a good thing. No. A 19-foot boat passing people on the right is not <laughs> Not a good sight. <laughs> when it's passing a bus full of nuns, you know it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this sounds like a National Lampoon's movie already. It's the OKS Fisher podcast. OKS Fisher podcast. We might have to start a movie. <laughs> Matt and Greg go fishing. Not good. Well, what else you got to add? You thinking? Uh, you thinking that's kind of it? I think that's it on all the the mechanical prep stuff. I, I will just add in as a little short tidbit is always check regs every year with the spring hearings and everything, species, size limits, everything like that changes. I would hate to see all you OKS fishers get popped for a ticket for something like that. So just make sure you double check on the regs and rules and you're all up to code that way. And yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, that's a great way to end it. And as always, keep your uh, keep a bend in your rod and check that drag. Make sure it's not set too tight or too loose. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs>